Lord, we just come before you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, and ask you just to guide and lead us as we look at your word and show us what you'd have us to see from all of this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 4, starting at verse 10, where we left off last. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save you and to destroy. Who are you that judges another? So we're going to stop there. Just look at this. Uh, we, we Remember last week we talked about the verse 7 and 8. Uh, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And we talked about him coming toward us. And then James here goes on to say, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And interestingly in Greek, this word is a, is a uh, passive verb. It's not us doing it. It's God doing it to us. But we do have to allow him to do that. And God will work on humbling us. Uh, in Proverbs, we're told that pride comes uh, before, uh, the, before the fall. And God will always humble people if they don't desire to humble themselves. And, and, but this is, we're to be humble in God's sight. And then it says, if we humble ourselves, he lifts us up. And it's kind of an, you know, an interesting uh, dichotomy here. God tells us we're to humble ourselves and then he lifts us up and we're to stay in understanding that it's him that's lifting us up, not ourselves. And the hard thing sometimes is for us as we're being lifted up by God or exalted by God to stay humble. And this is very important for us to, to look at. This idea of being humble and not raising up and it says that God does our lifting up. And this is, we've seen this in various, I've seen this in various churches where pastors are lifted up. And there's a danger as they get lifted up that they get prideful. And this is the same thing for any of us as we serve the Lord. It's, it's easy to serve the Lord in obscurity without anybody mentioning, you know, looking at you and pointing you out. But as soon as people notice you, you've got to be careful and be on your guard to stay humble before God. And don't get proud of of the people recognizing you. And this has been the downfall of several people, you know, that start out with the right attitude. They, they're following God, they're serving God, and the next thing you know, they're getting very prideful. And God says, let me show you how much you, you know, how important you really are. And that's how we really need to understand is we can do nothing without Christ who strengthens us. And the moment we start thinking, you know, hey, just look at me, you know, look how good I am. God says, okay, let's see how good you are. And we very quickly will find out that we're not the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it's very important, you know, to, to look at this and stay humble. Then he goes, speak not evil one of another, brethren. This is something that is so easy for us as humans to do. Criticize somebody, say something nasty about somebody, put them down, and God says, don't do that. Matter of fact, all we're ever told to do is edify one another, love one another. 
And this is the sign that, that we are his children. He says, you will know, they will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. Unfortunately, a lot of times we as Christians don't show a lot of love one to another, which by, by definition says that we're not one of his disciples. Careful about living in our nature because that be, oftentimes that can become an excuse. Well, that's just who I am. And people will use that excuse a lot. Well, I'm just a caustic person, so that's just the way I am. I say these comments and I, I do them without thinking, well, let's let God rule and change who you are because he says it's not right. But we want to be very careful about this because it's easy for us to live in our flesh. It's easy for us to tear down people. And I'm often, I even catch myself doing it and I'm often stopping people, you know, don't go there. We don't want to go there. I sometimes will do it myself before I realize, hold it, what am I doing? I, I can't go this route. The more we're following God, the more, the more we're in love with him, the quicker we get to the place where we recognize that we're stepping into that side. And the more we walk with him, the less we will do it by nature because our nature is changing to who he is. But it is true that if we're not careful, we're not in his word, we're not spending time studying and praying and worshiping him, our nature is to tear others down. And God is saying, don't do it. Don't speak evil one of another. And he says, he that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law because we're not the judge. And this is very, very important. We are not the judge of one another. We're not even really the judge of ourselves, because God declares us and says, you are righteous, you are perfect. His judgment on us as his children is that we're perfect. Our judgment keeps coming back to, well, I'm just a sinner, I'm just, I do all these bad things. And God says, no, I'm the judge, not you. We need to live in who he says we are, and we're going to make mistakes, yes. But we're not to judge ourselves because that's not really who we are. And I, this is something that's hard for us to understand because it's not who we are anymore. We are his children, heirs of grace, and, and all of the things that goes along with it. He declares us perfect. He says, we're, he says that we're perfect. Now we're going to grow in that perfection. But we want to be careful. Does that mean I just go about doing bad things? No. But I let God come in and convict me when I start speaking evil. When I start tearing somebody down, he comes in and he says, what do you think you're doing? And we go, oh, yeah, let me, let me change the way I'm thinking. Let me change the way I'm speaking. And we need to do that with one another. When we start seeing another brother who's starting to make that, hold it, no, that's not who we are. That's not how we speak about people. And I do that a lot with people. No, we're not, we can't go there. We, we need to, and a lot of times I go, we just need to be praying for this person. Hey, we're going in the wrong way. Let's bring this back to what we're supposed to be doing for this person. Because there are a lot of evil people that we deal with. There's a lot of evil people we deal with in the church, but there's a, a whole lot of evil people we deal with outside the church. And we need to be careful how we are trying to judge them and criticize them because we need to be speaking love. God loves them. How much does God love them? He sent Jesus to die for them. This is, this is very important for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that they should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a lot of love. And who are we to look at these people and say, well, you don't, you know, you're just nasty, mean, you don't need God's love, but God is showing them that much love. 
And this is why he says, if we are speaking evil of a brother, if we judge a brother, we're speaking evil of the law. Because we don't keep the law ourselves. Bottom line, you know, none of us keep the, keep the law. But again, that's God being the protection. Yep. Uh, and, and I've said this over and over. The, the lost world is not going to be our best friends. <laughs> Should not be our best friends. But we have to be talking to them and ministering to them to be able to have somebody to witness to. We can't just lock ourselves in a church, close the door and say it's just us and whoever, whoever God leads to, to himself and comes knocking at the door will, will accept. We have to go out into the world and minister. There was an age just where they were cloistering their, their leaders in and, and monks and would just sit there and pray to God all day long and, and maybe study the word. And they never went out and talked to anybody. This was not a good place to be either. And sometimes we do this as Christians. We kind of get, you know, gathering up just amongst ourselves and we don't go out in the world and talk to people. And that is not a good place because how can we reach the lost? But again, that doesn't mean we're going to say, well, I'm going to hang out with this guy from, that's lost and this is going to be my best bud. <laughs> we're going to do everything together. That's the other extreme that is not good. And there's Christians that do that. You know, they, they get so wrapped up in the world and they usually end up walking away from the church and being compromised because they're spending so much time with the lost world. And it's, a, it's an area where we listen to God and say, how much do we do? How much do I walk with in the world and how much do I spend with God's people? We end up having to do it all the time. Uh, most, of, most people end up being in the workplace and that puts them in the, in the world. For some people, it me means that they do some crafts or hobbies or you know, spend time, you know, whether it's on a sports team or, or you know, playing all kinds of ways we can get into the world. For somebody who's into crafting, it could be that you go in where people do that kind of craft and you spend time with them and, and you slowly get to know them. And for some people, it's just hanging out with them. We, we do whatever it takes to be in the world, but not of it. And that means we're going to hang around mostly with the church, but we get out. We get out and we share with people. We talk to people. But we look at this and we say, I'm not going to speak evil of these people. Why? Well, for one thing, we know that they are evil. We pray for them. We put them in God's hands. Now, that can be interesting in, in and of itself. You put them in God's hands, and sometimes God does pretty harsh things to them to bring them to him, but it's up to him. It's not me trying to initiate it. I'm not even going to enjoy when somebody, when somebody has been mistreating me, and they end up, you know, losing their health, or losing their business, or losing their job, and having bad things happen to them. I'm going to keep praying for them because this is God trying to get their attention and it's very important for that. I'm not going to speak evil because why would I speak evil of people who have an evil heart and don't have the righteousness of God in them? They're going to do evil. Why should I be surprised that they're doing evil? You know, same thing with a Christian brother or sister. We pray for them. We, we encourage them. We edify them. Does it mean I let them do wrong without saying, you know, that it's wrong? No, I'm going to come up to them given the right circumstances. And I've said this over and over. If we're not praying for a brother or sister, we have no business talking to them about what they're doing wrong. All right? Because we don't love them enough to spend time on our knees saying, God, help this person, help them see the light. You know, we don't have any right to be going into them and correcting them if we're not loving them enough to pray. 
and our job is, if we love them, we pray for them, then we can go up to them after we've been praying for a while and give God a chance to work through the prayers. Then we can go up to you. Know, I've been really concerned. You know, I've noticed this, this, you doing this, and I've been praying for you, and I just want to encourage you that, you know, look at the word. You know, see what God says about this. But again, make sure it's something that's actually sin. This is very, very critical for us because sometimes we want to get upset because God told us we can't do something that through the principles of the word of God, and this will go to something like smoking. People will get upset you know, with, with smokers and they'll go, well, God says our body's a temple, you can't smoke. Well, I know how that verse is applied and that's probably a valid way to apply it, but that doesn't mean that that person has been convicted of it. Now, if somebody is smoking and it's making a bad testimony, you might pray for them, God help them understand the testimony they're, they're displaying and that it's not a good, you know, good thing. And God will either do one of two things. He'll change them and get them to quit smoking or he'll change your judgmental attitude about their smoking. I'll give you one guess what he probably will do is take your judgmental attitude about their smoking away because he doesn't want us judging one another. Because, and again, I've said this, we might be worried about that smoking and God saying that they're, they're mainlining heroin and going to be dead in a, in a month and we didn't, we're not aware that they're, they're using the drugs. All we're worried about is the smoking that they do in front of us. And God says, you know, I'm not really worried about this. I'm worried about this thing that's going to take their life. Something that, you know, we want to be careful of how we deal with these things because what we think is super important may not be what God is worried about in their life. And, you know, yes, if they're doing, committing adultery or fornication or, or these other sins that are sins, they're out there stealing, then yes, we can say, no, you need to stop that because here's the verse that says very clearly don't do these things. But when we're taking the verses that are on principle and trying to say, well, here's the principle, we need to let them work that out between God uh, because we've talked about this. I don't drink. I don't really think anybody should be drinking. But the Bible does not have a verse in there that says thou shalt not drink. Now, it does say, don't be drunk. But, so we want to be careful as we look at people and say these principles. Because you know, if I'm trying to apply my standard on them, don't drink, that's not a valid thing to do. We want to be able to look at this. We are not to judge one another. Because they're going to be looking at the law, and we're not the judge of God's law. He's the judge. When, we, when people appear before God, he's the one that's going to sit on the throne and say, you violated my laws. Here's the law. Why did you do it? And see, they've got an excuse, which they won't, because we're sinners. We, do, we violate the law all the time. And he's going to say guilty, or he's going to say it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. One or the other. We're either, it's either, the sin is either under the blood of Christ or we're guilty. And this is very simple when, God, when we stand before God. We're going to stand in the righteousness of Christ as we're, if we're saved, and we're going to stand in our own righteousness saying, and God's going to say, you're guilty, you don't have, you're, not, you're not perfect. But he is the judge. James is saying, in the, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. We're putting ourselves up in the judge's seat rather than doing the law. Because the point is, we can't keep the law. And the judge has to be somebody, theoretically, who is following the law. We, we expect judges that are sitting on the bench that they are obeying the laws of the land because they are acting as judge. They're, they're, they're the one that is punishing people for breaking the law. And there's a huge amount of hypocrisy to be the judge breaking the law and punishing people for breaking the law. 
and the judges were supposed to be honest men of integrity that obeyed the law to the best of their ability, because nobody standing in, in God's place, can, even on this land, can be perfect. But they should be somebody who, when you look at them, say, this person is generally honest. This person is generally law-abiding. And we see this, and he says, if you're judging the law, if you're judging others, you're judging really the law and saying, it doesn't really apply to me because God just points to you and says, all right, you're judging this person. What about, and he, and he touches all the areas of your life and says, oh, you've got plenty here you need to work on. And this is where Jesus said, you know, you can't take the speck out of a brother's eye when you've got a great big log sticking out of your own eye. Okay, if we've worked out and, we, and we're honest and we've been integrity, you know, living integrity and we're trying to do this, we can sometimes help somebody out, but we have to get rid of our own problems first. But that also makes it a hard place because usually we're most judgmental on the areas that we have had or have problems. Smoke, ex-smokers, you know, are really good about really getting on to other people for, for, their, for their, you know, how bad they stink and, and using all this stuff and they'll go after them. Alcoholic, ex-alcoholics usually get after people for, for drinking. No, not always, but in general, it's an area that they're very touchy about. And this happens all the time. If we have a problem in our area that God has, is convicting us of or has even helped us get rid of, we tend to be a little overly sensitive about that area and maybe even a little judgmental in that area and saying, well, you know, he's taught me not to do this. How come you haven't learned type deal? And we might not be quite that blunt, but yet we're awfully harsh in that area toward them. And the reason is because they haven't grown in that area. And here he's saying, we are not to be the judge. There's only one judge, and this is what he goes in verse 12. There, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you that judges another? And I love this. God is the lawgiver. Plain and simple, he's the lawgiver. He's established the rules. He can save. He can rescue people. He rescues us all the time in certain areas of our life. And he lifts us up out of our trials because of the problems that we do by breaking the law. And he teaches us. And as we walk with him, we become more and more obedient to the law. Not because I'm striving, not because I'm working hard, but because God saves me. He lifts me up, fills me with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes who I am, and I become more of an obedient person to the law. But it also says that he can destroy. He puts attention to fix the thought of. This is kind of interesting. He pays attention. He destroys that area of law breaking by drawing our attention to it. Have you ever been in a place where, you're, where you kind of think everything's good and then all of a sudden you notice the problem? Uh, sometimes cleaners can do this. You know, they, they overlook something when they clean and they overlook it all the time. And then somebody points it out to them, and it's like, oh my goodness, look how bad that is. And now from that point on, they'll notice it and take care of it, usually. But they'll notice it if they care about their job. They go, oh, yeah, I've got to start cleaning that place. It, it looked terrible. Uh, at College Park, it was kind of funny because I paid attention to lights. I hated light bulbs that were burnt out. The pastor hated stains on the floor and one time he says, look at this thing. I go, I can't see it. There's three lights out above us. He goes, oh. <laughs> you know, he, but he noticed 
he noticed stains, but didn't you know, notice what I noticed. I noticed lights and didn't really care about the stains that much. But when we draw attention to it, God says, I want you to, I'm going to touch this area of your life and you're going to start paying attention. How does he draw that, our attention to it? Primarily through the word of God and our own studies. And it can be from a teacher standing up and teaching and all of a sudden touching on a, on a part of your life that you've never really realized. And this is important. And this is why teachers are important in our life. Because they can come along and bring out information that we're not that we're blinded to. And I've said this over and over. I, I love to tease about it because when I'm reading the Bible and I've read it through so many times, I'll come across something and I'll kind of go to tease God. You know, God, when did you add that verse? I've never noticed it before. And even as I say that, I know others have had this happen to them as they've read through and all of a sudden there's this, God says, I want you to pay attention to this verse today. And all of a sudden it pops off the page and it's like, oh, I never noticed that before. And and at that point, God's drawing attention to something in your life and saying, I want you to pay attention. I want you to look at this and say how much is, how important it is. It? And this whole area of judging, and, and judging literally means to separate and, and, break and break apart. That's what we do when, when the judge comes in. He says, here's the truth, here's the, here's the, here's the truth, here's the law. And, and he separates everything and all the irrelevancies out of it, which the lawyers are trying to throw, especially the defense lawyer, he's trying to throw in all kinds of little relevant information and they have to sort through and, and sift through. We're not to do that with one another. We're, we're to love one another. We're to build one another up. We're to edify one another. Maybe if we have the right relationship with somebody, touch on some of what's going on in their life. And this is important because authority becomes part of this whole, this whole picture. Pastors will speak on it much faster because they're responsible for the church. A husband will deal, uh, or a father will deal with it in his family because it's the family that needs to be dealt with that he's accountable for. The government is supposed to do it because that's their job to protect the innocent if the laws are, are, are just. And the problem we have in our day and age are there's so many laws and, and many laws conflict with one another. You, there's so many laws that we probably break five or six laws just dealing our everyday life anymore because there's so many laws that we can't even keep track of. But the government is supposed to just protect the, the, the weak and help and, and keep that and be able to defend the country from invaders. But they have a position of judgment. But God is the ultimate judge and we are to love one another. And our love sometimes will bring us to talk to somebody but it's gotta be out of love. It can't be just because I'm irritated that they're doing something that I don't like. It's gotta be, I love this person so much that I can't abide watching them hurt themselves and go the wrong direction. And that's motivated from love. That's why Jesus came down to this world. And you know, I, a lot of times people will say, well, Jesus didn't, didn't uh, condemn people, didn't criticize people. Well, he went after the scribes and Pharisees pretty hard. But even other people, he basically said, I forgive you, but, and you look at the rest of the sentence. The woman caught in adultery, he goes, where are your accusers? There aren't any. Go your way, and neither do I go your way, and sin no more. He didn't say, You're, you've been okay, you've been fine. But he very gently said, go and don't do this anymore. 
And there's a gentleness in that. And sometimes when we're gentle with people and draw their attention to something they're not aware of, change happens. Sometimes they'll get mad at us even though, <laughs> even though we were gentle and loving. But when they sit back, they go, oh yes, that person very gently come in. I'm not going to come, oh, you know, you're such a stinking sinner, you know, get yourself right. You know, that doesn't help anybody. You know, yeah. hey, you know it's been really irritating me that you're doing this. is isn't going to help anybody. But, you know, I go to the person and say, you know, I've really been praying for you because I am so concerned that, that you've been living, living with this person out of, out of uh, matrimony and God, God says that's a sin and I've just been praying for you and I just want you to know I've been praying for you. They're probably not going to like it any better, but there's a gentleness in that that says, you know, I've, I'm concerned. It's a sinful lifestyle. Don't do it. And we want to be very careful, very gentle, and just loving. Because that love and grace will win people. And I've seen this over and over. God's grace changes people's lives. Piling on his laws does not usually make people want to change their life. You know, God says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we as, as sin, sinners basically will look at that and say, well, I really don't care what. <laughs> I don't care who it is that's saying not to. I'm not, I, you know, and and we, we bristle when we're told we can't do something. And all of us are the same way. Some are more compliant than others. Some are very rebellious. And if you give them a direct rule, they will automatically rebel. But even a compliant person looks at it and says, you know, I really want, you know, why should I keep this? Why, why should I do this? Now, they may go ahead and comply because that's who what their nature is. But even on, there's an inner struggle there that says, why? And I'm a fairly compliant person, and I still have that same struggle. Well, you know, why should I do what this says? And usually I obey because that's who I am. I, my brother was the opposite case. He was, you know... You had to very much convince him to do what it was, and even then he wasn't sure that he was going to do it. He was a very strong-willed person and going, I'm going to do things my way. And we all have those extremes you know, in, in our life, and we have to be able to say, God's grace comes along and says, I really want what's best for you. Would you please comply? And you know, I'm going to bless you anyway. I'm going to give you, give you benefits. And the great news is, is God doesn't give us benefits and blessings because we're perfect. He gives them because he loves us. And sometimes he'll send judgment because we're not listening. But for the most part, he's given us blessings. He gives us his, his love. He's given us all of eternity with him. And being blessed because he is the one that judges. Verse 13 says, Go, go to now, you that say, Today or tomorrow I will go into such city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain." Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So we look at this and... We want to be careful because God's not saying in these verses, don't make any plans. <laughs> but what he's really saying is, we look at the confidence that this person is speaking with. Uh, he says, you say, today or tomorrow, I will go into such city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. 
It is this arrogance that he's talking about that I'm going to go and I'm going to make money. And this is something that we want to be careful of because we're not in control of our future. And we've shared this many times. Our life is short. Our life is not even in our control. We think sometimes that we are in control of our life and we make all these great plans. But we need to be careful because, number one, there's a couple things. God may step in and say he wants us to do something else. I've had this happen many times in my life where I have plans, I have my thoughts, and all of a sudden I know that God is telling me to do something else. And my first instinct is, God, well, I've got to get this done. This is my plan. And God's going, no, I want you over here. And this takes us back to the statement I love from Blackaby. Look around at what God's doing and join him with what he's doing. Don't try to, because most of us will go, God, I'm over here trying, uh, I'm over here witnessing. Would you come over here? And God says, I'm over here with a whole crowd of people who need you. Get over here. And we're over here with what we think is important, trying to do what we want to do. And God's saying, I've got a whole bunch of people. You could be, you could be harvesting a great harvest over here. And we kind of get so set in our mind that this is what we've got to do. And this can be very dangerous for us because we can make lots of mistakes. And I've done plenty of mistakes in my lifetime doing exactly the wrong thing. And as a husband and father, I have hurt my family on various occasions because I did what I wanted to do and not what God wanted me to do. And it's very important that we look around and say, God, I've got, I'm going to make some plans. I'm going to... I'm going to try to do you know, these, these things because we need to plan for the future. We need to plan for retirement. We need to plan on, on the job that we're going to do. We need to make, get an education for the job that we're going to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean going to school. It could be a craft or, or working as an apprentice. There's all kinds of things we can do for a job and for training. And God says, but we need to listen. And we need to be careful because sometimes the direction we want to go is not right. All of us have been there at some time where we've made the wrong decisions. And we kind of get, after a couple of years, you know, months or years or decades, we kind of realize, oh, what am I doing over here? God's not here. God, God, where are you? And we look around, God's over there, and we go, okay, I guess I better go join God. And sometimes we make the right decision, and there's often times when we make the decision for God that it doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever to the flesh. And that, I love to tell people my move to Kingman didn't make any sense in the flesh. I was a computer programmer and I kept going to God and go, God, what kind of work am I going to do when I go to Kingman? You know, it's not known for its computer, computer capital of the, of the country. And God says, he's, he says he's got it worked out. And we keep doing these things and sometimes when we make the right decisions, we look back and say, wow, look how perfect everything worked out. And God has done such great things for, for my family as we've made the right decision this time and said, yes, this is where God's at. And it's hard sometimes. I, I tell people a lot that I don't want to make decisions when I'm emotionally involved with the decision. That's a terrible time to make a decision when you're, when you're upset or you're angry or even if you're happy because you don't, your emotions get into the way of being able to listen to God. God wants us to learn to be quiet in front of him and listen. He speaks in a still, small voice most of the time that says, quiet your emotions, quiet your thoughts, and just bow yourself before God and listen. Because he doesn't speak out very loud most of the time. 
Most of the time it's very quiet. And if, our, if we are living in the chaos and the, and the storm of life and not just calming ourselves, we'll make a lot of bad decisions. And I know that's been true for me. So I've tried to learn over the years, okay, I think I'm supposed to do something, let me just quiet myself and get my emotions out of the deal and start listening to God and find out what He wants. And that's very important. And then you involve other people to pray for you and help you as you go forward in the decision. And say, you know, I've really been praying about this. Would you just pray that God will speak in a way that I hear and that I'm quiet enough that God will be heard? And that being quiet is hard. We've all been there. Especially when you're angry about something going on. You're going, God, uh, you know, and all you're thinking about is how, you know, how upsetting the the job is or how upsetting that person is that you're trying to show love to and you're trying to figure out what God wants you to do and all your and you and every time you bow your head your your emotions are churning and it's like God give me peace. Give me peace and speak to me. And this is why worship becomes very important when we're coming before God, when we're getting into the word. Sometimes we just need to pray and just God make me peaceful. It may be that we just make a joyful noise into the Lord for a while and just let let him know that we're loving him and caring for him. That's one of the greatest things I love to do is just sing. When I want to really calm down in the sing in, where I met with God, I'll take and sing a chorus. I'll sing some scripture. I will start doing things that put my mind on worship. And to me, singing is a very valuable thing. And I know many people just sing the songs and don't think about what they're singing. And, but when I'm singing, I like to be before God and just love him and just show how much I love him and think about the words that I'm, I'm singing as I, as I flow into his, his presence. And this is why I keep bringing up all the time, let's, are we paying attention to the words? We just sang some powerful words. Did we, did we think about them? Did we understand them? Some of the songs I listen to on the, on the radio have some very powerful words when you listen to the words. It's not like some of these songs that have very powerful words that we're not expected to listen to in the, in the rock and roll and rap, rap world and even the country and western world. Those songs don't have much redeeming value and Satan doesn't want us listening to the words because it'll affect and warp our thinking without paying attention to those words. Well, God does the same thing, but he would really like us to be aware of what we're singing, what we're, what we're doing. And I've had many of these songs minister in great ways because some of these songs are really good. That doesn't mean every Christian song is a good song. There's plenty of Christian songs that, that aren't, aren't of much value. But there's a lot of Christian songs that have great words. I've shared with you, I love this, the, the song, Thank You, where the guy goes to heaven and all these people come and thank him for the little things he did. And you start thinking about, wow, God, are there little things that I have done that I'm going to be thanked for in heaven that I'm not even aware that I've done? And you know what? There are. <laughs> I won't even say, is there? There are. When we get to heaven, we're going to see those times when we were just living our life. We didn't even think we were t making an example for God. And people were touched because we went through with such peace, so, so much confidence that we praised God. And they saw this joy on our faces, we praised God. Those times when we just gave a few dollars to the offering that we didn't really, couldn't really afford, but we were just touched and we gave it. And then watch what God does with that money. For our church, the fact that we, the church pays for the website that gets around the world and, and ministers to people. We don't know what, what's happening from that, from those, 
those messages going out and being heard. People are being touched somewhere, and who knows what's happening. We don't know that when we do just a little kindness for something, hold the door open for somebody, or just give them a, hi, how are you doing? You know, that may have been just what they needed to realize that not everybody hated them. Uh, because this has been the testimony. If you listen to some people who give a testimony of how they were stopped, they were on their way to suicide and just somebody spoke a kind word to them and made them realize that the whole world wasn't out to get them. And then they searched out and found God. And you, you hear these testimonies all the time where somebody just says, you know, I was ready to commit suicide and then this person was kind to me. Probably a Christian, you know, not necessarily, but probably a Christian that was kind to them and changed their whole mental attitude. Maybe it's somebody who's getting ready to leave their husband or wife and you, know, you just were kind to them and, and just shared a little kindness with them and all of a sudden their mindset changed. Or they gave them just a quick verse from the Bible. We don't know the little things that we do that, and how they will affect people. And we honestly have never, won't have a clue until we get to heaven and God allows us to see it. And possibly people thanking us because we probably, if we think about our own life, how many people do we have this, to thank for the little things they did? When I was in a bad mood, I met this person and they, they just were happy and gave me a Bible verse and it really changed my life. Yeah. That'll be somebody we can thank in heaven. You know, on, on the 21st day of my life, you know, on this year, you said this kind thing and you really changed my day. We don't know the little things we do. Maybe it's the smile on our face because God has given us that joy and that peace in our heart. And people look at it and say, boy, that, that, person's, that person's happy. I wonder why. And they start looking for what makes, makes that person happy. We don't know what little things can be done that will be the life-changing step or at least a day-changing step for somebody. And we need to be aware of all these little things that God can do. He says... Don't make your plans the most important thing. You know, do we make plans? Yes. Should we make plans? Yes. Do we have to be so stuck to our plans that we don't change at all? Absolutely not. And that's something God had to really work on me because I, there was a time in my life that if you asked me what, what I was going to do three or four years later, I could have told you exactly what I was going to do three or four because my day was so regimented. Um, this day I did this at this time and I did this at this time and I did this at this time, and it felt comfortable to me because I was a logical, organized person. And God's saying, uh, where's my time? And it took him a few years to break, break that habit in me. And, but he finally says, I don't care if you're going to plan, and I can still tell you pretty much what I'm going to do, but at the same token, it's like, uh, God, if you're going to step in, I'm gonna, I want to listen. God, I want to listen. I want to hear when you say, do something else. I still have to fight that every once in a while because of the way I am. It's, it's my personality to be regimented. But I have to, I'm better at it than I've ever been. God, what do you want me to do? How can I change my plan? Happened today that my plan was changed a little bit because somebody wanted my time and I had to rearrange my time to say, okay, this is important. This is, this is important. I need to change. He goes on to say, you know, you made your plan in verse 14. Where have you known not what you shall be on the morrow? For your life even is a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes. How many times do we think the world can't get, on, get by without me? 
all of us do at some point in our life think, you know, I'm so important in some area of my life that without me, the whole world would fall apart. The world revolves around them, or at least some small portion of the world revolves around them. And we see this sometimes in the business world where somebody thinks that I'm so good, if I was gone, this whole job would, would fall apart. And then they're gone and the, and, the, and the store keeps running. Maybe not quite as efficiently at first when they first needed to be replaced, but it still keeps going. We often get that way. Things I do in this, in this job or this in the church or with these people are just so important that nothing could go on without me. That's not being humble, which is where we started. And it's not true. Our life is a vapor. We're going to be out of this world soon, no matter how, how we look at it. Soon might be tomorrow. It might be 60 years from now. We don't know how soon soon is. But from God's perspective and the world's perspective, even if it was going to be 200 years, it's still a short time. And then you think about it. How much of somebody's life is really remembered 20, 30, 40, 50, a couple hundred years after they're gone? We look at some of our founding fathers. Unless you studied all of their writings, you know maybe five or six you know, stories out of some of their lives. Out of 60 years, you know three or four stories, five stories, six stories. And for most of us, we're not even that important. Our family and friends may remember for a few years, you know, stories and how important we were in various parts of life, but then they die and we're no longer important even to the family. Something that is important and big news in a celebrity's life today, a month from now, most of it is forgotten. What, what is exciting news today is not even, not even remembered next week, two weeks, a month, a year, you know, a decade later, you know, you might you get to know the the movies they made or the songs they sang and maybe how much they made on that actual individual life and who they touched you don't usually remember and this is what it's saying you know our life is a vapor everything that we think is important is gone and maybe maybe we made a big enough splash to be remembered for a couple years decades maybe even if we're really fortunate, one or two incidents in our life may be remembered a century from now. Most of us aren't going to be that important to have anything, of, anything that we've done be remembered more than a couple decades by our immediate family. And God's saying, it's all for him. But you know, the good news is when we do things for God and we're putting our treasure in heaven, it's going to be remembered for eternity. And this is why we want to seek after God. We want to serve God. We want to be witnessing and, and sharing the gospel. We want to plant seeds. We want to water seeds. Every once in a while, get to harvest the seed and say, I had the joy of praying with this person. I love it when I get to pray with somebody and they, and they come to Christ. That's the greatest privilege because you get to be the culminative of it. It's kind of hard being the, the seed planter and the waterer because <laughs> you don't get to see the, the end result. But you know what? God's, God knows. He knows you planted the seed. He knows you watered the seed. And when it comes to time to be rewarded, he's going to reward everybody that had a part in that person's salvation. Every little piece that has that. And sometimes that can mean that people who supported the people who planted the seeds and encouraged and taught them. And you think about how much goes into just being able to plant the seed of the gospel. You know, number one, you had to have the courage to go talk. 
But somebody actually had to spend some time teaching you how to plant that seed and how to share the gospel and little bits and pieces. And, they, and so you, that teacher gets a part of that as well. And, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, and all of this, all that's involved in this. And I've shared with you, I, I remember when I first got saved, I was telling everybody about that they needed to get to know Jesus, and I didn't know anything about it. I just said, you need to go, get, you need to go find out, uh, turn your life to Jesus. Well, how do you do that? And at 10 years old, I go, I have no idea, but come to Sunday school with me. So that Sunday, I had about 20 people getting on the bus for the Sunday school bus because they all wanted to know how to get to know Jesus. Now, I don't remember how many of them actually ever did anything, but all I remember is a lot of my friends were on that bus that first Sunday because I didn't know the answer, but I said, come on, let's go find the people who do. If they got saved, I had at least a little bit in that. Even though I was totally ignorant of what I was doing, I still had a small piece in the planting of the seed of the gospel. And I've had many planting of the seeds in the gospel since then. But all of this is our life is a vapor and it's gone. It's gone in this world. Most of us will never be recognized. Most of us will never be acknowledged as having done anything great. Now we will in certain circles maybe. You know, depending on, you know, Christian circles, maybe we have a little more impact in different people's lives and be remembered a little longer. Maybe it's our business world will be remembered a little longer. And for most of our life, we won't be remembered after a couple decades. Now, they'll be, yeah, that was the record setter of the, you know, they, they, they set the record on most sales for a week or, the, or a year or, or a decade. And your name might be on a plaque someplace and go, yeah, I recognize that name. I think they, they used to run a store somewhere over there over there and, and everything you did to get that record is going to be forgotten. All the lives that were touched in the process of getting it will be forgotten. And that's what we talk about celebrities. Yeah, they sold the, they, they went double platinum on their album and know nothing about their day-to-day -day life. Nothing about, you know, maybe, maybe how many boyfriends or girlfriends they had, you know, it's, yeah, and, and the sin. But then he goes, but you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And this is literally being humble enough to say, I want to do what God wants me to do. God, my plans are subservient to yours. I will do what you want me to do. And we think about it. We look at Jesus as a great example. He's on his way to the temple uh, to, to heal a person when the woman with the issue of blood reaches out and touches him. And he stops and says, who touched me? You know, of course, they're all going, well, lots of people touch you. There's a whole crowd around here, you know. And he takes time to minister to her, even though he's on his way someplace else. And Jesus did this on several occasions. He was on his way someplace. Another person needed ministered, and he listened to the Father and ministered to them. How many times have we passed by somebody because we're so busy doing our thing and not listening to God? And this can be very critical. And we're not wanting to say this to bring judgment on because I know I've done it at points in times when I'm going, I wonder if I should have helped that person that I just passed. And I'm not absolutely sure that I should have or shouldn't have, but you know, my mind was, I've got to get this done. I've got to get here. I've got to do this. And there was maybe somebody who needed ministered that I just totally ignored. And so we want to be very careful. That doesn't mean we're going to help everybody. Peter and John in, in Acts 3 went to pray at the temple and they healed the lame man that laid by the temple every day. How many times did Jesus walk past that lame man and never healed him? 
I hear a lot of people say, well, Jesus healed everybody that came around him. No, he healed everybody that God wanted him to heal. Not everybody in Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee and Nazareth got healed. Just the ones that brought glory to God at the right time. Because otherwise, Jesus would have healed this lame man and Peter and John would never have been able to have that lame man laying there to be healed. Remember, he's 30 years old. He's been, by the, he's been at the gate beautiful for years. And we're only less than two, uh, less than two years past Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus must have walked past this guy several times. But it wasn't his time to be healed because it wasn't going to bring the glory at that time. And Peter and John were going to heal him and go stand before the people and give testimony to God's power and the fact that he was being healed in the name of Jesus and be disciplined and beat and told don't preach in his name and all the stuff that, go, that goes on in that story. So we want to be, are we, are we to help every single person that we, that we encounter? No. And the way that I've heard this talked about, every need is not necessarily our call. And we use it a lot that people in churches will do something just because it has to be done. Very careful, I'm going, why should you, a lot of times I'll ask people, why do you think you should be the one doing this? Are you called by God to do this? Because I've seen people teach a Sunday school class who weren't called to be a Sunday school teacher. And the problem with that is, maybe two weeks later, God brings somebody into the church that is supposed to be teaching those Sunday school kids. They look around and there's a Sunday school teacher and they go, well, obviously I'm not supposed to be teaching those Sunday school kids because the wrong person's in there teaching the class. We do sometimes want to try things out. And I've listened to many pastors that say, what are you called to do in the church? Go try some things. But make the commitment long enough to make sure that it is something that you've tr honestly tried. But there's a lot of people that are doing things just because it has to be done. And they hate it. And I'm going to say right now, if you hate what you're doing in the church, it's not what you're called to do. If you're doing a bunch of stuff and you don't like doing what you're doing, then it's not your calling. And this is important for us to understand. When, when I was at College Park, everybody kept telling me, you're really busy, you're doing a lot of things, and I never felt like I was doing a lot of things because God said, this is what I want you doing right now. I enjoyed what I was doing. It was no, I never felt like I was working. I never felt like I was struggling. I never felt like there's a problem or pressure, and if I didn't do this, it's not going to get done. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. It's the same thing that as a pastor, I enjoy what I'm doing, even though it's hard work. Now, that doesn't mean there's no time when you're doing what God says that you're not going to struggle with it and have a hard time because we all get tired, we all get frustrated. Generally, we should enjoy what we're doing. If we're going to be the cleaner of the church and we hate every moment of cleaning the church, get out of the way and let somebody come in that likes to clean. If we're the maintenance person of the church and, we, and, we're, and we're hating every moment of what we're doing, we're not, probably not the right person to be doing it. If you're the teacher and you hate teaching, you know, it's like, oh no, another day when I'm going to have to teach. You're not, you're not doing what you should be doing. And there's plenty of jobs out there that people need. One of the greatest jobs that, in some, that people are gifted to do is just be a friendly greeter and, and a friendly face to people. And those who are, those are that kind of personality don't realize what a gift that is. I have to work real hard at being cheerful with people and talking with people. It's not as hard as it used to be. I used to be very much, you know, one of those that just went in, sat down, got up, and left. 
I would talk to anybody who talked to me, but I didn't initiate the talking. And I learned, you know, and God says you need to be talking to people, and I learned to initiate, but it's still not one of my favorite things to do. And I'm, and I'm kind of, I look at somebody like my son Samuel, and you know, who will know everybody in any size church within a couple of weeks, because that's just who he is. He loves to talk to people. And it's kind of funny looking at him. We came from a church with 1,500 people, and he knew everybody by name. Okay, I barely knew, I barely knew 30 or 40 people and I was actually a teacher doing things, you know, out there. And he knew everybody by name because that was his personality and that was his gift. His gift was to talk to people and enjoy being, being with people. And this is why we need to find out what it is that God's gifted us to do and go do it. And don't try to do things we're not gifted to do just because it needs to be done. Because I'm going to ask people when they say, well, I think I should be doing this. Why do you think you should be doing this? You know, has God, you know, what, what is your reason for you to be the one to do this? You know, why? Especially when it comes to long-term projects. You know, I think I should be the, the Sunday school teacher. Okay, why should you be a Sunday school teacher? Tell me, explain to me, why has God called you to be a Sunday school teacher? If they say yes, I know, and I'm going, okay, let's, let's give it a try. Let's see if you're, if you're a Sunday school teacher. If they give me something like, well, I just know there's some empty classes, and I just think that this would be the greatest thing to, to do, then I'm probably going to be a little more reserved about... I may still let them, I may still, but I'm going to be watching them to see, do they have the right personality? Are they, are they doing a good job? Is this what they're really called to do? Are they, are they doing it just because there's a need and they're feeling a martyr as they're doing it? And we want to be very careful with this. And then this last verse says, therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. This goes from the ones that are directly stated to be a sin. And it also goes to these precept sins where, where I am absolutely convinced that these precepts apply in my life. If I do something that violates those precepts, I've committed sin. If I'm going back to the idea of being a smoker and I'm convinced that, that smoking pollutes the temple of God and that I, shouldn't, that I shouldn't pollute the temple of God and I go out and smoke, I'm sinning. The person who's not so convicted can smoke and not be sinning because they're not can absolutely sure that it's wrong. But if I go out and do something that God says don't do through the precepts, then and I do it, I'm sinning. And it's very important for us to understand this. There's some things that are just straight out sin. If you're gossiping or lying or committing adultery or fornication, you're stealing. I can show you all kinds of verses that say don't do those things, you're sinning. But with the smoker or the person who takes a drink once in a while, I can't just point to a verse that says you can't do those things. Now, to me, they're wrong because I agree that I can't, I can't pollute the body. And, but we want to be careful because we don't get judgmental on somebody. It's what has God convicted me of and say, I've got to be careful. I have a friend who is so convinced about not taking the name of the Lord in vain that he's gone through all of his movies and gotten rid of every single movie that uses God's name in vain. And he destroyed them. He didn't go out and sell them on eBay to make money. He goes, if they're wrong for me, they're wrong for others. So he's literally crushed them and destroyed them. But I'm just saying, this was his thing that God so convicted him of. It's amazing how many movies use God's name in vain. Not just the, the violent movies and, and, and stuff, but there are a lot of movies that are for kids 
use God's name in vain. I'm struggling with him having shared that with me. I'm struggling now with, should I have that same standard? And I'm looking at my, my library and saying, how much of my library is going to disappear, God? And is this something I should be doing? And so far, God hasn't completely convinced me. But I'm right on that edge of, there may be coming a day when I go through my video library. But each thing is, what has God convicted us of? And we need to be honest in what he convicts us of. And before that, you may be free to do it. You may be free to be able to do it. He has no problem with violent movies, but he does have a problem with using God's name in vain. Now, usually the two go hand in hand, but not always. We want to look at and say, God, what is it you're convicting me of and help me to be obedient to it? Because there's so many things that the scriptures talk about that God starts saying, this is wrong for you. We all have areas in our life that are that way. If we've walked with God any length of time, there's certain areas in our life that we have been convicted by God and say, this is wrong for me. That may not be a thou shalt not. Okay, I was convicted a while back ago of speaking against a particular president that I couldn't stand at all, and God says, you're not praying for him. Don't speak against him. So I don't usually speak against presidents anymore because God has said, you've got to be praying for them. Now, I pray for them more than I ever have, but I still don't want to speak out and downgrade them. And this particular president, I downgrade it all the time, and it's not Obama, who I'm not a big fan of, but there's a president from a little further back. But God says, no, you can't. You can't do this. And this is so important as to how are we going to be obedient to God when he says don't. And there's times, like I say, when, you know, for me, smoking and drinking is wrong. I can't smoke or drink because of how I believe God has, has taught me. Does that mean I'm going to jump all over people who are smoking and drinking? No. That's between them and God. And we need to get to this point of, where are we? Are we listening to God? Are we obedient in our own life? And if we're going to judge people, we better be obedient in our own life before we start judging others. Because I can tell you, and we all know for a fact, if you start judging somebody, they're going to point to you and say, what about you in this area? It happens all the time. I start judging somebody and I'm going, well, who are you to judge me? You've got this problem, that problem, and this other problem. And you kind of look like an idiot when you start doing that because you know they're right. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and we ask that you help us to love others. Let us love people in such a way that they are drawn to you because of that love and that they will see your love by the way we love them. You said that we come to you because you first loved us, that we love you. And it isn't us loving you and then you love us, but you loved us first. You sent your son to die for us. You, and you sent your Holy Spirit to convict us and draw us to you. And we just thank you for all of that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.